When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Lake Scenario Leader and Kentucky.com. It is Sunday, September 18th, 2022. Yesterday, Kentucky... The Wildcats defeated Youngstown State 31 to nothing at Kroger Field. It was UK's first shutout since 2009, its first home shutout since 1996. The Wildcats improved to 3-0 on the season. They moved up one spot in the AP College Football Poll, going from number 9 to number 8. They play host to Northern Illinois next Saturday, 7 o'clock at Kroger Field. And to talk about all of that, I talked with my fellow colleague and fellow sports columnist at the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com, Mark Story. We talked about uh, the offense has been struggling a bit. We talked about how well the defense has played, and we looked ahead to Northern Illinois and to Ole Miss. Before I get into my interview with Mark, I want to remind you that you can find the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, and our radio podcast. Leave us a rating or review. We really appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. You can send me an email, jclay at herald-leader.com. We, we really thank everybody who supports our work at the Herald Leader at Kentucky.com and who supports the podcast. You can go online at Kentucky.com, hit that subscription tab, check out all of our offers for subscriptions, digital subscriptions to Kentucky.com, or a print subscription to the Lexington Herald Leader. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Mark Story as we talk Kentucky football. Okay, my guest on the podcast is my uh, regular Sunday guest to talk about Kentucky football's game on Saturday, my friend and colleague, Mark Story, fellow sports columnist at the Lake Scenario Leader at Kentucky.com. First of all, how's it going, Mark? It's going great, John. Uh, Kentucky 31 nothing win over Youngstown State uh, yesterday at Kroger Field. Uh, as we record this on Sunday afternoon, Kentucky just came out that Kentucky's moved up one spot in the AP poll, AP media poll. Kentucky is now eighth, uh, which matches their 2007 ranking when they were also number eight. Uh, I guess we can start there. Are you surprised at all that they moved up a spot? You think? Did you think they might move up more or stay steady? I guess a lot depends on, you know, what the teams in front of them do. Right. It's obviously not fully, I mean, you're, it's a, you're mutually dependent on what happens with other teams. But yeah, I was a little surprised they moved up. I, I, didn't, I didn't think they were overly impressive, especially offensively against an FCS opponent. Now, the struggle that Arkansas had right, against, against, <laughs> right, against another, another FCS opponent may have made Kentucky look a little better. 
Yeah, yeah, but Arkansas didn't uh, – Bobby Petrino, coaches Missouri State, played Arkansas back home in Fayetteville, uh, the uh, site of the motorcycle wreck, <laughs> which ended Bobby's career there at Arkansas. Uh, didn't they jump out to a 17-0 lead at one point? They did, and then Arkansas caught them 17-17, and Missouri State then went ahead by 10, 27-17, and then Arkansas – you know, finally put the hammer down and, and wore them down. Yeah. But, you know, Petrino, whatever you think of him as an individual, when he's into it and motivated, he's kind of a genius as a play caller. Yeah. And, and just the design of the offense last night, I mean, they had a tremendous game plan. I watched a good bit of that game just because the just the psychological implications of <laughs> I, I I was among I shared those that didn't understand why Arkansas didn't just buy out of that game once Missouri State had hired Petrino. I mean why right. why why put your fan base and yeah, just why go through that right. Right and have that whole story come up again. But they didn't do that and it was it almost uh, it almost bit them. Yeah. Almost but, but but Missouri State's offensive game plan was was just incredibly well designed, yeah. and they they ran a play on fourth and one, um, faked it into the line, and the quarterback pulled it back and and then threw it to a wide open receiver for a touchdown. Now I think that was the play that broke the seventeen seventeen tie, and that that was vintage Petrino when he was in our state at Louisville, especially the first time. I used to love to watch that his offense because oh, it was yeah. just so well designed. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he's a he's an expert play caller and a you know offensive coordinator and so forth. Uh, but it's for whatever for whatever reason and various reasons, he seems to <laughs> get himself in trouble on other aspects of his job. And our old friend Kyle Motes, who's the AD at Missouri State, who hired uh, Bobby Petrino. Kyle was here at UK, uh, and then he was at U uh, of L for a while uh, before he went to Missouri State. Um, speaking of offense, uh, you mentioned about the Kentucky offense and the 31 nothing win on Saturday. Rich Gangarello was not happy after the game, talking said he was disappointed in his offense, so we got to do better. If we don't do better, start doing better, we're going to have problems down the road. Uh, sounds like you. I wrote about that uh, for my column that will be in the Monday print edition. It's up online now. Sounds like you share Rich's sentiment. Yeah, I mean, I thought they did. I thought they, I thought Levis, other than the interceptions, I thought he threw it well. You know, I, I'm continued to be impressed with the receivers, the new receivers. You know, that part is good, but I did not see the offensive line improvement I was hoping to see. And to me, that's still the key to the season. And ultimately, is you know whether they're going to be able to get you know some some balance going and get back to you know a, a at least a competent running game. And you know they gave up ten tackles for loss. You know Levis was sacked four times, and there was a stretch late in the first half where I felt like that sort of got to Levis a little bit. He looked really uncomfortable in the pocket. He couldn't get his feet set because he was always under such pressure. And you know they um. They've given up 11, 11 sacks uh, right. so far this year. You go back to the uh, the bowl game with Iowa last year. They've given up seventeen sacks in their last four games. And you know, you look at their offensive numbers. You know, they're one hundred and twenty fifth in the country in sacks allowed, and I think there's one hundred and thirty one FBS teams. They're one hundred and third in interceptions thrown. Um, they're one hundred and twenty second in rushing. 119th in fourth down conversions, 100 or 82nd in third down conversions. 
Now, they are 27th in passing. That, that's the one thing they've done well. But they, they've got some questions to be answered on the offensive side of the ball. How much of the sacks are on the offensive line, and how much are, are they on that Levis is not throwing the ball away when he needs to just get rid of it? No, I think there's some of that. I mean, I think, I think it's probably always unfair to just singularly focus on the offensive line. You know, I think there have been a couple of sacks where it looked to me like, to my very untrained eye, that the running back didn't take the right person. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's all the offensive line, but I do think the combination, they're giving up a lot of sacks, they're struggling to run the football, and at least against Youngstown, they gave up a ton of tackles for loss. Right. I mean, I think, I think, it, I think that's a worrisome, worrisome development. Yeah, I think in the first uh, quarter, they had 12 official run plays, which that includes sacks and co- the way college football figures statistics, and six of those were negative yardage plays. Not exactly what you're looking for, especially when you go up against an FCS opponent. Uh, on the running game, how much of this will be fixed when Chris Rodriguez suits up at uh, down in Oxford, Mississippi on October 1st? Well, I think it helps to get back one of the best running backs in school history, but I don't know if, you know, you put the ghost of Gale Sayers back there that, you know, you're going to run great without, without, you know, best, without better blocking. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, the offensive line, I mean, you could tell that, you know, they were not happy with the way the offensive line was going because they left them in there. I mean, I, I thought yesterday would be a game that we'd see Keontae Goodwin. We'd see some other guys in there, you know, and get a significant amount of playing time. But uh, Rich, after the game, you know, noted that, and Will Levis noted that, you know, they left the, that that offensive line in, except for the final series, I think because, you know, A, they want him to have some continuity because of injuries and reshuffling. They have, those guys have not played a lot together. And Tayshawn Manning was missing yesterday, the starting, uh, start, uh, one of the starting guards, starting right guard. What, uh, so uh, you know you had Quentin Wilson starting in his place, uh, but uh, and then also not only continuity, but I think Rich was just looking for him to play better. Uh, do you think once they settle down, they'll they'll be fine, or is this something we're going to have to be battling all season? Well, I think the fact that we're a fourth of the way through the season and we're still it look, to me it has it doesn't look you know they they've played six halves and five of them I think have not been. Great. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, I think at this point it's it's kind of a concern. And my concern coming into the season, you know, I think Kentucky's like had what five offensive linemen drafted since right. uh, the starting since the 2018 season. I just don't see that level of talent on the offensive line, yeah. and, and and maybe it can be developed, but you know, so far. You know, you know, it just it, it's just it just doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah, I mean, I think they're very high on Eli Cox, but he's playing a new position. I think they're he's playing center after playing guard last year. I think they're very high on Jagger Burton, but he's a young, he's a redshirt freshman, his first year as a starter. And beginning of the season, he wasn't going to be a starter, but they moved Kenneth Horsey, who may be their best offensive lineman. He's been a guard now. He's playing a new position at tackle, so you've had all that shuffling around. And I think Keontae, I think they think down the road Keontae Goodwin is going to be an NFL player. But you know he's a he's a true freshman. Um, you know he's barely getting his feet wet so far. So 
yeah, there's a lot of room to a lot of room to grow there. And as Rich Gangarell said yesterday, they need to start figuring things out pretty quick with Northern Illinois on Saturday, which is no pushover. But then after that, then you really get into it with Ole Miss, um, and you get in really into the heart of the SEC schedule after that for Kentucky. Uh, talking about the receivers, you wrote about Dane Key. I mean, Dane Key and Barry and Brown both, especially Dane. I, I'm not sure. Is there a better pair of true freshmen in the country on one team than those two guys? I would think they'd have to rank right up there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd have to research that, but it's hard to imagine that there's many better because those two guys have both been terrific. And Dane, I mean, I was trying to think uh, just off the top of my head of, of a freshman receiver at Kentucky it's gotten off to a better start, and I, I haven't come up with one yet. Me either. And I mean, he, uh, and you know, he's catches a touchdown every game, and he doesn't just catch a touchdown; he makes an impressive touchdown right. catch every game. You know, the cat, the the one against Miami was you know, Levis just threw an absolute how you know howitzer off uh, on a, on a relatively short pass, and Dane caught it with you know was just a great hands catch. And then, obviously, the play at Florida was a spectacular play. Right. You know, 55-yard you know, catch goes, going up and taking it away from a defender on a post pattern. And then the, the catch, the touchdown against uh, Youngstown was a really well-run pattern you know, where he, he cut out toward the sideline and just cut sharply right back and Levis hit him. And, you know, that for a true freshman, you know, to run such a, a well, well-designed, well-executed, uh, you know, pattern at the goal line was, you know, he's he's been about as impressive as, as you as you can be. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, obviously, you know, and a local kid from Frederick Douglass, whose dad played at UK. Uh, you know, Mar- um, our colleague John Hale wrote a story earlier in the week about UK's receivers. I mean, it was pretty much well known that uh, Dane Key. At first, you really didn't have that much interest in UK because they didn't throw the ball. Uh, under Eddie Grant's offense, they were a power running team that did not have a you know, much of a sophisticated passing game that the NFL is looking for from its receivers. But then when they went to Liam Cohen last year and now Rich Gangarello this year, guys like Dane Key, Barry and Brown, and some other guys hopped on board. They've got already got some commitments for next year from some good receivers. Uh, so check out John's story as well. Uh, we've spent the first half of this podcast talking about the offense when it was the defense that got the first shutout in quite a while uh, since 2009, the first home shutout since 1996. And I'll be back with Mark's story after this break to talk about Kentucky's defense. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, back here with Mark's story on the podcast. My fellow columnist at the Herald Leader, uh, Kentucky, as I mentioned before the break, uh, first shutout since 2009, first home shutout since 1996. Uh, through three games, this defense is uh, is you know play, playing really well. I know I had some questions coming in about the defensive line. Everybody had some questions about the secondary, but I'd say so far better than so good for the defense. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, just been really good. I mean, I was running down some negative offensive numbers. The defensive numbers, they're fourth in the country in third down conversion defense. 
They're 12th in the country against the pass. They are 37th in the country against the run. And they are, what, 14th in the country in total defense. They're only giving up 253.7 yards. And, uh, right. you know, obviously, you know, Florida in the swamp, you know, that's right. a legitimate SEC game. Now, you know, they also played a MAC team, although a good MAC team with a good offense. And, and they completely shut down, you know, Youngstown. Yeah. Has there any, been anything in particular that surprised you about the defense so far? You know, I felt okay about the defensive line just based part mostly off the 2020 recruiting class was so highly ranked. Right. I figured those guys would, would, would be okay. And I remember reading a story, and I don't remember on which one of the recruiting sites, it was either Rivals or 24-7, and it said the, the three best defensive line recruiting classes in 2020 were Alabama, Clemson, and Kentucky. So I figured unless, you know, those guys were just totally out of it, those guys should be okay. And then obviously Deion Walker coming in as a true freshman has just been a, a revelation. Right. You know, I thought Carrington Valentine would take a step up at cornerback, but he's probably taken two or three steps up. I think he's been really good. Those two plays he made against his former teammate Bryce Oliver in the end zone where he basically ripped a touchdown pass out of his hands and then had on a, then had kind of a, a – a really athletic sort of juggling interception. I thought those were just big time plays. And, and obviously Keydron Smith on the other corner, the you know graduate transfer from Ole Miss has been a big addition. I mean, you know, he, he's, he, you know, the, these guys that come in from, from Ole Miss seem to have a real knack for finding the ball because Jacquez Jones had so many plays last year, the linebacker who came in from Ole Miss, you know, he, he broke up a touchdown against Chattanooga that wound up being a huge play. Right. You know, obviously broke up the pass that preserved the win over Florida and Lexington. And then, you know, had the fumble recovery that set up a touchdown against Miami and the pick six against the Florida. And I thought had intercepted a pass yesterday that for whatever reason, they didn't call an interception, but you know, the quarterback play has, has been really good so far. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kentucky did suffer third play, uh, the third defensive play of the game. They did suffer a significant injury. J.J. Weaver looked like he did something to his elbow, possibly an arm injury. Mark Stoops, of course, after the game, wouldn't say much. Uh, he said he'll have he'll know more on Monday, but that doesn't mean he'll tell us <laughs> more on Monday. The way Mark is with injuries, but he he did say it did, he didn't think it was anything season ending or anything like that. What if J.J. though is out for a few weeks? Uh, how how big a blow is that? Well, it's 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 big. I I think one of the things that has been a big improvement about the defense was having both Jordan Wright and JJ Weaver together in the game healthy, because you you really hadn't had that since the end of the the twenty twenty season. And um, yeah, if, you know, having those both those guys on the edge is is huge. So not if you don't have JJ for a while, that you, you're going to feel that. Right. Yeah, I've been one of the uh, the uh, myriad of uh, NFL podcasts I listen to, uh, one of the podcasts I listen to, which uh, which is more of a draft podcast, to the analysts on there were talking about the Kentucky-Florida game, and they basically said that J.J. Weaver and Jordan Wright won that game for Kentucky. Uh, obviously, Wright made the big interception, but the way that they uh, contained Richardson, kept him from running, made him throw, hurried his throws, even and even when Richardson had time to throw, he was off target. 
but uh, they were going on and on, and they were they were touting Weaver as a, kind of a sleeper pick that uh, people should pay attention to the rest of the season, and then unfortunately turns around and gets hurt. It did give uh, a chance for uh, one of the new guys, one of the Wade brothers, to get some playing time yesterday, which should help down the road. But he he talking about the true freshman on um, on offense uh, on defense. You mentioned Deion Walker. Uh, you have Wade, the linebacker, outside linebacker, and then you have uh, Afari in the secondary. All three of those guys as true freshmen are, have stepped up and really been big contributors in the first three weeks. Yeah, the top half, you know, the, the, the 2022 recruiting class is the highest ranked of the Stoops era, and the top half of that class is, has more than lived up to the billing. It, it was really good. And, and the one thing with, you know, Weaver, if you, if he's out a little bit, it gives Keaton Wade a chance to get some reps, and that could pay off, you know, later in the season, and figures to certainly pay off next year with him having some experience. And Afari's been amazing because you know they always talk about how difficult it is, you know, to sort of master that nickelback position because you know you're just sort of kind of half a defensive back, half a linebacker almost, and it just sort of puts you in some uncomfortable spots. And he's come in and just seems like a natural. He's been, he's been really good. Yeah, very much so. Okay, Mark, uh, Northern Illinois comes in here, another MAC team. Uh, Kentucky's second MAC team that they play this year comes in on Saturday night. You do the uh, you know the look ahead, the preview of the next opponent early in the week before doing your matchups later in the week. What do, what do we know about Northern Illinois? Well, they were picked to win the MAC uh, as Miami was picked to win the East of the MAC. Uh, NIU's picked to win the West, and then they were the pick to win it overall. They won it last year, and then you know beat Coastal Carolina in a bowl, um, which you know pretty strong. As we, we as Texas A and M and Notre Dame can tell you, the Sun those Sun Belt teams are no joke. Right. But uh, I don't know that NIU's played especially well this year. They're one and two. Uh, they they beat Eastern Illinois from the FCS at home in their opener, only beat them by seven. They lost at Tulsa 38-35, and then they had a 14-point lead on Vanderbilt in the second half uh, yesterday and got beat 38-28. Uh, their starting quarterback is a guy named Rocky Lombardi, who's a transfer from Michigan State. Yes. He, he completed his first seven passes yesterday against Vanderbilt, but then left the game with an undisclosed injury, so they wound up playing their backup. It was a kid named Ethan Hampton, who's a redshirt freshman, and I didn't see the game. It sounded like he played fairly well. He was 12 and 19 for 124 yards with two TDs, but you know, you would obviously think they would have a better chance in Lexington if with their more experienced quarterback. The other thing, it seems like they have struggled defensively. They've, they're giving up Almost 285 yards a game passing. They're giving up over 432 yards defensively. Um, they just uh, seem like they've had a tough time stopping people. And you mentioned in your in your preview about that this this could be you could consider this a trap game for Kentucky with Ole Miss coming up in a big SEC game coming up the next Saturday. Uh, down at Oxford, uh, I mean, how much does UK have to be on guard for that sort of thing? I think they do. You know, the people were talking about the possibility of letting down against Youngstown. I didn't really think that would happen just because of the emotion attached to, you know, Mark Stoops is from Youngstown and, you know, 40% of the UK coaching staff is literally, literally 40% is from Youngstown. So I, I didn't think Kentucky would be flat. 
But I do think there's some chance here because, you know, you had that, the emotional win at, at Florida. You had the whole Youngstown reunion. And then, then you've got um, Ole Miss coming up. And I think that uh, I think that does sort of make this potentially a bit of a trap game. So I think that's something Kentucky will have to be careful about. Yeah, Ole Miss is off to a good start. They Georgia Tech's not very good at all, but they beat them forty-two to nothing yesterday. They're they're off to a good start. Looks like uh, Jackson Dart, the transfer from USC, who's Ole Miss's quarterback, uh, looks like you know Lane Kiffin is you know he's the guy, and Lane Kiffin has done a good job with him so far. So, uh, but. Northern Illinois first at 7 o'clock uh, at Kroger Field on Saturday night. Uh, we'll have plenty of coverage, of course, leading up to the game. As I mentioned, Mark will have his matchups and his prediction later in the week as well as, re- as his regular columns. Uh, you can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark C. Story. Am I leaving anything out, Mark? Anything else you want to mention before I let you go? I think we're good. Right, well, Mark, as always, I appreciate you being on the podcast, and uh, thanks as always. Thanks, John. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks, as always, to Mark Story. Follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark C. Story. Check him out online on Kentucky.com and in the print edition of the Herald Leader. The Kentucky-Northern Illinois game, Saturday, 7 o'clock. It will be on ESPN2. It's at Kroger Field. So check out all of our coverage leading up to, during, and after the game. I'll have my three takeaways. Mark will have his five things to watch, as well as our columns and other coverage from John Hale. You can follow John Hale on Twitter at J-O-N-H-A-L-E underscore H-L. Check him out as well. Thanks again to everybody for listening to the podcast. Thanks again to Mark C. Story, and we'll catch you next time on the John Clay Podcast.